Susan B. Anthony and her followers have won for women the right to vote. It seems to me that bitch isn't a word. It's a moment, an experience. She successfully spanned the Atlantic from Newfoundland to Londonderry, Ireland. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Say what? Bitch, bitch, bitch. such high office, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. I'm not ready to wait up for Hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while. I feel like it is. I'm. And we're trying out a new, new accent, I see. And yeah, I'm trying. But hello is the only thing I can say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like hello. that's like RuPaul. I've heard RuPaul say something like that. <laughs> Which one? The, with the R's at the end. Oh. Um, who is it that does the occur? Is that Nicki Minaj? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Hello. Uh, I am Kelly McLean. I'm very sidetracked. And this is Bitchtree. Welcome to a new year of talking about badass bitches. Dee, dee, dee. Yes, this is the podcast where we talk about badass women in history who are not in the history books. Half the time, history doesn't even know their actual names. <laughs> that one chick who was a sister of what's his name? Exactly. <laughs> it's just inconsequential when you're just property, I guess. Ugh, God, the rage is rising already. <laughs> new year of rage, and here we are. Yes. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Kelly. Under his eye. <laughs> May the Lord open his, his emails. Yes, please email us at heybitches at bitchstory.net. Oh my God, let's keep this brought on track. Somebody needs to. There was so <laughs> much in that heavy sigh, though. Seriously, I could just go off. I could go off. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I have a lot, but I won't. I <laughs> so much restraint. <laughs> All right, so this is where I guess we pretend we're, I don't know, what we're covering today. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today, Kelly? It's so cute when you do that. So <laughs> Lisa actually comes up with most of the topics, because otherwise, I mean, I don't know, my brain is just all over the place. Lisa's very Capricorn. Oh my God, happy birthday, almost. Lisa's <laughs> almost birthday this birthday. weekend. Yes, yeah. happy, happy birthday. birthday I know, she is very Capricorn-y. And um, very focused, and I am not. <laughs> I have a lot of Capricorn, but it doesn't work for me in that way. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, mental faculties, so Lisa suggested that because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, um, we should talk about mental health and bitches who have helped us help ourselves or something like that. Yeah, I mean... I it's unfortunate. So we have some badass bitches that are pioneers in mental health that we want to talk about. But mm -hmm. I mean, there's also a very long history of using psychiatry and medicine in general women, as we've talked about in numerous shows. From I would have been institutionalized rich. years and years and years ago. Oh my god! For just being sassy, whatever. I mean, I would have been, I guess, hysterical, but they had a they had a word for everything. You didn't like your wife, just send her to an institution. Yes, and that, I mean that was true that you could you could be put in an institution simply because your husband requested it. Yeah. Without any, even if he wasn't a doctor, even if there was no sort of quote unquote medical support, you know, evidence that you needed to be there you could get thrown in an institution if your husband put you in there. So, yep. um, you know, if your husband was a complete dick or you just didn't want to give birth to a children to a child every year and mm -hmm. have three children in diapers, 
there's obviously something wrong with you, so you could get tossed right into uh, some sort of an asylum or institution and left there, really. Um, you know, so hysteria was a big one, which, you know, kind of comes from the same root as hysterectomy. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you're and so there were a lot of uh, thought that women's um, quote unquote mental problems, problems. came from their yeah. sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was a report that, um, a lot of times when people came in with hysteria or some sort of, you know, basically just being, you know, a moody bitch. So I would have been there a long time ago Yeah, um, that they had a clitorectomy. <gasps> and I have not heard this before. Yeah. And so, but the report said that 70% of these clitorectomies were successful. So that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, 70% of these cases that went in and, you know, had a clitorectomy were successful. And God only knows what they're cutting off, first of all, because they can't find that shit. And second of all... How are they gauging just, successful? What the fuck? I know. I mean, yeah, I'd probably shut the fuck up if somebody cut off my lady right. parts. I just never spoke again, right? Jesus. And so there was also a lot of thought. And this was kind of a Freud, a Freudian thing. So Freud is kind of the, you know father of modern psychiatry however he did have some pretty effed up he was real hung up on some shit yeah yeah i mean penis envy and all that kind of stuff yeah but he also did say that um women who preferred a um who preferred clitoral stimulation for orgasm versus vaginal stimulation for orgasm were um trying to imitate men Oh, therefore not my rightfully God or, or taking their rightful role in that relationship, I guess. So if a woman can't be pleased with only. uh, What am I trying to say? Um, penetration, penetrative sex, right. then she's broken. Exactly. So oh, I mean, the rage. So in the 1600s, I mean, in Salem, a lot of those people that, you know, were witches had probably maybe had some kind of depression problem maybe had some kind of who knows what but you know there were 100 women accused of witchcraft and a lot of them thrown in there by their husbands they were acting quote-unquote weird or whatever Um, and in the early 18 into the 1800s and 1900s women were confined to mental institutions with diagnosis of melancholia nymphomania hysteria and a lot of these things were um Hormones. Symptoms we're talking back, you know, or anger, yes, or reading novels. What? Yeah. yeah. Novel reading is also very dangerous. Years ago, there was a thing that circulated around the internet that was like a, a, a photo of some logbook from a mental institution of, I don't know when, early America. Mm-hmm. And it had like the woman's name and the reason she was. Um, it, brought in and I, I think who brought it but anyway it was just like all the reasons that you could be institutionalized right it was crazy i know i mean breathing yeah breathing or you know. just you know you are not being obedient to your husband he wants you to do certain things and you're just like mm-hmm. no not gonna and then he's you know he could just take you to the institution and they'd be like well clearly she has melancholia so you know they put her in there for 20 years and shock treatments and all kinds of god knows what God. Um, so I found one kind of a case study that I just, it's kind of long, so I don't want to do, I don't want to do the whole thing, but I just thought mm-hmm. I'd go through it really quick. But um, so there was a lady, this is in the 19th century or uh, June, 1860. Um, a lady named Elizabeth, who was a housewife and a mother of six. 
she stood up to her domineering husband. That was that was it. She gets sick of his shit, and she was sick of six kids and whatever. So she stood up <laughs> to him, and he said, um, "I the woman," she said, "the I the woman have just as good a right, in my opinion, as my husband as as has to his." But assertive women in those days are a no-no. Mm-hmm. So she was swiftly dispatched to an asylum. Um, I don't, who took care of the six kids after that? I, who knows? But anyway, um, so she was she was taken to Jacksonville Insane Asylum in Illinois. And the medical wisdom for the age of that assertive, ambitious woman were unnatural and therefore sick. So for centuries, their natures have been thought inextricably linked to the reproductive organs. Um, so she was in there and she, and she kind of was realized that most of the women in there were like her. They weren't mentally ill. They just were like sick of shit. Yeah. They didn't want to keep on giving birth to children. They didn't want to, you know, do every single little thing that their stupid husband wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever. So, you know, she realized that she, she's like, you know, I don't, but I'm not going to fake this thing and go back to my husband. She's like, it's almost better to be in here. So you know, she kind of, you know, did some, did a study and then she did a report of this when she went out. But, you know, she some of the things that she reported in there that um, she, so her, one of her fellow patients had extreme jealousy and she was in there for like 16 years because her husband had a mistress. I'm assuming. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Oh um, Elizabeth's compatriots are committed for oh reading novels for hard study or insane behavior during the change of life. Uh, a woman's menstrual cycle alone could be see, see her committed, suffering from uterine derangement. Well, uh, I mean, that is valid to a point. N- not the institutionalism, not right. the inst- that, not that, but the 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 reason being fucking menopause is what I'm trying to say. Case <laughs> in point, I can't speak because of the menopause, so I probably need to be institutionalized. Yeah. But they, they went also, about it all wrong. I mean, I guess they there were times where they also tried to make mothers um, delay the onset of their daughter's menses um, by taking cold baths, abstaining from meat, as well as novels. I'm not <laughs> sure why novels became so scary, but they did. What? Seri- well, um, education. Um, yes. Why would they want to de- – weren't they trying to marry their fucking daughters off at young ages? Why would they <laughs> want to delay it? Start Yeah, start having a kid right away at 14. I don't get it, but uh, this is so in her hospital, there were it was completely overcrowded. There were 231 patients and eight wards and there were another 240 patients on the waiting list (laughs) and they used chloroform to, uh, quote unquote, control the boisterous women. Um, God, but sometimes permanently. Oh, my God. the the asylum superintendents would use sometimes straight jackets and you know things like that so that they would just you know hopefully shut up but she had a great distaste for her husband there was a 30 year old woman in there who just like she was in there because she just said like she spent much time in a 20 year old woman who spent much time in serious reading so obviously that's why she was in there and there was a 30 year old woman who dared express quote unquote great distaste for her husband uh, who were among those subjected to the latest cure uh, to treat female insanity, uh, the clitor- clitoridectomy, clitoridectomy. Uh, I really, I had never heard of that. I, I knew that they subjected women to ridiculous shit, um, shock treatment, ice baths, and a whole bunch of shit, but damn. So they, yeah, they thought that, that cutting off her, you know, they thought that her sexual organs caused her madness. 
So cutting off her, um, you know, sexual organs would, you know, sort of bring her into submission. Um, And Elizabeth said, if women remain true to their natures, there's no hope for them. (laughs) You know, considering (laughs) all the things that she saw in that. um, (laughs) That is insane. Oh, sorry. Poor choice of words. (laughs) She said that nonetheless, um, she wrote of breaking in that she was supposed to be experimenting experiencing i think it was a long time before this cure will be affected determined to reign, remain true to herself she wrote god grant that the time may never wear away to in me the spirit of resistance wow. so she was like hell no but they also bring up in this article too we'll put it here in the notes so you can kind of go through and read it too but um fast forward to today um when rose mcgowan was you know, accusing Harvey Weinstein at the very beginning of the Me Too, and she was kind of one of the only ones, or one of the first ones who came out. Mm-hmm. Um, they leaked documents from his lawyers. The plot was basically to just make her seem increasingly unglued. Well, that's that, what they always do to right. women in court. They, and they brought up things that are said about Nancy Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi and and about Hillary that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with her politics or anything. It's just mm-hmm. you know, and when you know, Nancy Pelosi stood up to Trump and didn't get him everything he wanted. He, you know, made mm-hmm. a, he made a speech the next day, said that there's something wrong with her upstairs, pointing at his temple. And, um, you know, he said that she's a very sick person. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes on today, obviously. Oh, totally. Um, so there's three, three things that they asked us to maybe consider not doing or consider, um, you know, not taking as lightly to maybe stop this. Um, one is to stop casually labeling. Um, when you say another woman is crazy, if she's got OCD, mm-hmm. if she's got bipolar, you know, maybe don't throw those words around so lightly. Mm-hmm. And especially if you are a gentleman listening to the show, um, you know, maybe do just consider not doing that name calling. Uh, secondly, they want you to reach out to the women in your life. Um, you know, if you are, you sense that a friend or family member is struggling, give them a little love and support. Don't be afraid to of asking them for help if you're struggling. Um, there's a lot of um, resources out there for you. Um, and in the words of Tupac, um, who <laughs> had some good feminist uh, themes in his music, uh, to paraphrase bad. him. Uh, your girls Kelly and Lisa care of don't nobody else care so you know reach out yeah and also number three is just take women seriously don't say you know she's just mad because that time of the month don't say you know this that it's like hear her listen and, and hear. don't you know there's a lot of um, talk surfacing on social media about PMDD which is sort of this is simplifying it but it's a um, it's a dysphoric disorder so it's it's I think that's correct. It's a very severe form of PMS, like hardcore depression. One time it's intense. And I see women coming forward, influencers coming forward about it. And then there's all kinds of people that just talk nothing but shit about them. Like what, to what end? Why do you, why would she fake that? And why do you care? Well, and, you know, as far as taking women seriously, don't, please don't, if somebody says, you know, I'm just having a hard time, I'm rough, you know, this is rough, this is that, don't say, you know, you need a fresh haircut, you need a massage, you need, it's yeah, like, just stop don't, it. Yeah, don't minimize <laughs> it. Just fix things, but that's just not, you know, sometimes people are going through a serious mental health crisis and they don't, a haircut is not going to help, so stop. Yeah, just, just don't minimize your fellow woman or fellow human, for that matter, they're 
if they actually say something to you, then just respond with compassion. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can do to support you? Is not that hard to say, guys. Right. And um, this past week, the um, Golden Globe Awards were on, and um, you know that guy made he made a joke about Taylor Swift and the NFL. Oh God. I'm not really sure why the MAGA people or the incels are threatened by Taylor Swift having a football boyfriend. Some douchebag referred to her as public enemy number one because, according to him, she's telling young Democrats to vote. Well, she's not. She's telling people to just go vote. But she, well, and she's just trying to get people to register. She didn't say Democrats go register. No, she that's my like, point. Everybody like, go register. So in a Republican's mind, a young woman telling people to exercise their right to vote in what we have left of a democracy is enemy behavior. What? Well, I mean, and it's true that the more women that vote, the more blue get in. But that's because, hello, <laughs> You know, take a look at your policies, what you laughingly call your platform and, you know, take a look there. But I mean, so that he made a joke about her during during the Golden Globes. And he said, you know, you know, Taylor Swift's here. But unlike the NFL, we're going to have a lot fewer close ups of Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift. than that. And she kind of looked at him like, you know, whatever. took a drink out of her drink and she cut away and she had the most tight lipped expression. Like she had to make herself like not she had to make herself look pissed because I'm sure she is. And then she just like took a drink. Like, I'm just not going to say anything. You motherfucker. She well, was and I'm glad clearly she didn't not feel obligated to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Politely giggle like often we are. Exactly. Um, and I've felt pressure to do that in business situations before. But then I saw, you know, people were just like, she's overreacting. I'm like overreacting. She took a drink of her drink. Will Smith went up there and slapped the shit out of somebody a couple she, years ago. She needs to get a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Like, if you've ever watched Taylor Swift, she definitely has a sense of humor. She doesn't take herself too seriously. None of those fucking things are true. It just, it never ceases to piss me off. I'm getting real heated. We should probably get into our topic because I'm getting pissed. This could go on and on. All right. Oh. So we each picked two people that we thought were good pi- good lady pioneers uh, in men- different aspects of mental health so right we're gonna go from there all right um yeah you you do yours first and then we'll go every other from there okay um so one thing that i picked is sorry that i'm just like i'm on a delay my computer is weird every time i click it takes like five minutes for it to do what i want it to do um but anyway so one of the people i wanted to talk about is freud not sigmund freud because you don't do the history we do this history but (laughs) anna freud who was his daughter and she was a big pioneer in psychoanalysts. Um, and she was mostly a founder of child psychoanalysis. Because a lot of before then, a lot of people were just like, just learn how to mind. Just be good. Right. Just, you know, a rap on the knuckles, spare the rod, spoil the child, that kind of thing. And she's like, nah. <laughs> there are things that need to be, you know, deconstructed here. And she worked to help adults reconstruct conceptualizations of their childhoods. And, you know, going back to thinking like, why, you know, this this is triggering to me now because of something that happened when I was six. Cause you know, people were right. mean you know, me. not so into that then. Right. Um, she wrote in 1927, she published introduction to the technique of child analysis. And she also expanded on her father's work by identifying different types of defense mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves. Um, she explored that in her 1936 book, the ego and the mechanisms of defense. 
So, um, you know, different defense mechanisms up until then were not thought about. You know, if you were sexually abused as a child and, you know, that comes up in your marriage later. First of all, people didn't talk about that. Polite people didn't talk about certain things. Um, But she definitely um, uh, started that work about, about child psychoanalysis. Her main scientific contribution was developing the field, this field, a subfield of psychoanalysis with modifications in place to match children's needs. She held that the child psychoanalysis should be a distinct mode of therapy, especially since children are less likely to voluntarily seek analysis. And um, often, you know, they didn't open up right away. It wasn't like I'm, I'm in here to tell my story and get this all out because I want to change. You know, they're often right. shy or have been told we don't talk about these things. Right. So, you know, just learning different techniques of how to get kids to open up and do things like that. But she was, you know, born in um, 1895. So this is when women were still getting put in asylums just by the request of their husbands. Right. So, you know, she grew up in a lot of a different time. They, her, and, her, you know, her family had to run from Nazis at a, at a certain point when she was in her 20s. So wow, she had, you know, quite an upbringing as well. But she was she made a big contribution. Very cool. Mm. Um, and that's good because I, I don't know Freud, Sigmund kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, so maybe she redeemed the name a bit. <laughs> um, my first one is Dr. Katharina Dalton. This lady gave a name to all of our suffering, and that is. PMS or premenstrual syndrome, which most of us are very well acquainted with. Um, We all say it, but it wasn't always like understood or known. So she successfully identified and treated many of the problems that were uniquely female. Um, At her death at the age of 87 in 2004, Her life and work were reviewed by many newspapers in Great Britain, where she practiced, and in the United States, where she made a huge impact um, for identifying physical reasons for issues that had previously been dismissed as hysterical or a figment of the mind. Can you not just hear that? It's just a figment of your imagination, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Go and be a good girl. Take take a rest. The concept of women's health movement was may very well have started with her. When she was 32, she was still a med student and she was pregnant when she wondered why she was suddenly free of the severe headache she had experienced monthly. She took her observations to Dr. Raymond Green, an endocrinologist, and speculated that progesterone, which is abundant during pregnancy and should also be abundant during the luteal phase, second half of your period, or your cycle, not your period, might be the key. She and Dr. Green first published their clinical experiences in medical journals in 1958 and proposed the term premenstrual syndrome. By then, Dr. Dalton had successfully treated premenstrual asthma, epilepsy, and migraine headaches with progesterone. Interestingly enough, I also suffer from migraine headaches only since I started suffering with the whole menopause thing. And it's really I've been to so many doctors and not one of them was like, maybe you need progesterone. So it's really still not. I mean, I am taking progesterone now, but that's because I'm Dr. Kelly and I figured it the fuck out. Anyway, 
Progesterone, which has an effect throughout the body, yes, let me tell you about that, is produced in the adrenal glands in addition to the progesterone produced by the ovaries. Dr. Dalton used progesterone that was equivalent in structure to the hormone found naturally in the human body, so like bioidentical. She was adamant that other synthetic derivatives of progesterone could not be used, contrary to what her medical colleagues believed. Side note, some... uh, Progesterone treatments come from pregnant horses, and they are not as well accepted in the body. So bioidentical or plant-based is best from Dr. Kelly. But talk to your own doctor. (laughs) Good to know. That's what she's referring to here, synthetic derivatives. Uh, Throughout her career, Dr. Dalton carefully examined her patients, collected data, um, developed a system of charting to help monitor the large number of symptoms that could be present. So if you knew where you were in your cycle, then you could, you know, figure out, oh, I'm about to have whatever. So I don't know if you grew up with the little tiny calendar where you charted your period lease. Mm-hmm. My mom used to get them from, how we get down, from her OBGYN, and then she just made photocopies. And so I grew up using this little piece of paper. I don't know, it was a very small piece of paper and it was basically a calendar and so you circled the day you started and then you you know would count down four lines which was four weeks and then that would be when you'd start again this was kind of a breakthrough at the time by today's standards we're like if we have a fucking app for that but <laughs> by to, by its you know today's standards it's lame but anyway um, one of her observations was that some symptoms of PMS including edema hypertension and albumin in this in the urine of protein um, seemed also to occur as early signs of toxemia in pregnancy um, toxemia or preeclampsia she began trials of intervention with progesterone in collaboration with the maternity hospital the hospital records showed an average incidence of toxemia to be nine percent after the first patients who were treated delivered babies in 1955 the incidence dropped to a low of one percent Each patient was given a test dose of progesterone when the symptoms started and treated continually if symptoms resolved while moderating the doses according to symptom relief. Anyway, it worked. Progesterone's fucking magical. And she did all this. There's a lot of details here, but um, she did all kinds of research and testing and practice about how progesterone would relieve so many symptoms um you know up to that point it was just it's just a figment of your imagination darling and just feeling unwell take a rest um and then even when i was growing up pms was poo-pooed i don't know if you remember having that experience but i remember hearing guys talk about how pms was bullshit and just an excuse for women to be a bitch well into the 80s well into the 80s i mean it really I mean, still I hearing it as a joke too <laughs> she's got pms i guess oh constantly and when you on the rag <laughs> you know what if your dick bled for one week a month you might have a little more compassion you piece of shit i'm sorry anyway um <laughs> so dr dalton um has just done did rather a a huge service to womankind with her research in this area and giving um, weight to PMS and other problems 
related to hormone issues. So thank you, Dr. Dalton. You are my fucking hero. I do a lot, actually know a lot of women who are on progesterone too for various things. Oh my God. It's, it's everything. Oh. <laughs> Um, okay, so my next person is her name is Marie uh, Nicewander. She was a psychoanalyst, a psychiatrist, and she was a pioneer in developing um, methadone maintenance for for heroin addiction in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, I I have do have some friends that have have struggled with addiction, and mm-hmm. without this, they probably would still be addicted or die. People die from withdrawal. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, up until then, like, the, you know, so to get somebody off heroin, you just lock them in a room, tell them they're not taking heroin anymore, and then just let them vomit and, you know, convulse, basically, for whoever knows how long. Yeah, but they literally could die Yeah, from that. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, methadone... Um, is, you know, still used for, um, you know, heroin addicts. They go, you know, usually, usually weekly. They get tested to make sure they haven't used any heroin. And if they haven't, they get a dose of methadone. Yep. Um, there is another drug, too, that is similar, but I just can't think of the name. The name escapes me right now. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's basically the same thing, though. But uh, until then, they really didn't think about giving a, a different drug to get you off of, you know, yeah, to, to sort of maintain, you know, to, so that you'd stay off of this drug or whatever. But anyway, so that was like in the 60s. She wrote in 1956. She wrote a book, a book called The Drug Addict as a Patient. So it wasn't just, you know, um, grifters and just, you know, torturing them to get them off, get them off drugs or whatever. And often they'd return, you know, if they could. Yeah. Um, so she was just a, the, a unique maintenance program to start them off, keep them off. Sometimes they're only on methadone for a year. Sometimes they're on indefinitely. Yeah, you know, whatever you need to do. But um, and there's, you know, very few side effects and things like that. Um, so she started working with um, volunteers, addict volunteers um, in a lab. And she tested a mode of action of a number of pharmacological in- agents. In a year, they discovered that methadone hydrochloride, a synthetic narcotic developed in Germany during the war as an analgesic to replace morphine, mm-hmm. also relieves narcotic hunger. But because it's metabolized slowly in body tissues, it does not produce the alternating euphoria and severe withdrawal typical of heroin addiction. So addicts stabilized in a regimen of methadone are able to pursue normal activities. Uh, retention rates for those who remain in treatment for more than two, year ra- two years range from all the way from 50 to 55 up to 80 wow. percent. So, um, yeah. And so opiate addiction. I don't, did you ever, this, I don't know why I thought of this, but did you ever read Slash's biography? No, I read Wired, which is John Belushi's biography. He well, that's so cocaine though. He was yeah. So Slash was you know they were shooting heroin a lot, partying mm-hmm. all the time, and so they were getting ready to go on tour. So his agent sent him to Hawaii to like one of those resorts Detox, where you have yeah. your little huts, yeah, bungalows or whatever, just to keep him out of trouble. He sent them with the, there with his girlfriend or my wife at the time or whatever, just get some sun and stay out of trouble. And just to get him out of L.A. So, but he was so messed up at that time that he was hallucinating even when he wasn't using drugs. Mm, wow. <clears throat> they didn't put him on anything. He just was, like, messed up. Cause he And he said it would be like Predator where you just, like, things would come to life and come out of the trees and all kinds of oh stuff. Oh, my God. And so he was in the shower 
and something did, like that happened, like something came like out of the water or whatever. So he screamed and he went through the glass door, the shower, oh, shut himself up. And he like goes running across the lawn at the thing, like butt naked and buck ass naked, yeah, yeah, butt ass naked and bleeding. And he Ugh. ran into one of the other bungalows where there was a maid in there cleaning up. She screamed her head off and you know whatever. But <laughs> you know this is this is basically Crazy. what sort of like sometimes drug treatment look like or just like just send them somewhere where they just can't get drugs tough it out yeah and, and they'll tough it out you know but just you know obviously did not work does that does not and has not worked for a lot of people so methadone is distributed widely and i know there's a lot of you know butthurt people out there about why is it free but you know chemotherapy is not free and whatever you know it is okay and yeah. chemotherapy should be fucking free for sure. fuck's and sake every other thing so but right. y'all keep voting against that so i'm not sure why what i can tell you about that because oh my god socialism the worst <laughs> thing ever mm-hmm. meanwhile let us deconstruct democracy until it is a slithering <laughs> clump of nothing anyway oh my god finish was that it yep okay Okay, my next one. And if you notice a theme, that's because I am, as I've mentioned, probably every episode in the throes of menopause. And it, let me tell you, when my mom went through menopause, I, you know, reflecting back, it was the time that she kicked me out of the house. It was <laughs> around that time that I was asked to get out. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know. She had more emotional issues or she just doesn't track with what was going on physically but I have the opposite I have all these physical symptoms of menopause so I'm focusing on these doctors who really made huge breakthroughs in women's um, like menstrual health slash mental health menstrual mental health there you go um because it's so relevant to me right now and because I just it needs to be fucking talked about. I have been to so many doctors and none of them have connected the dots for me. It's absolutely maddening. Um, nobody gives a shit about menopause. Um, so this this doctor had a breakthrough for postpartum depression, which is absolutely fucking life saving. I got a little bit weird after my first, um, but I had been through like a major trauma right after he was born too. We had to be hospitalized anyway. So I don't, that could have been it. I don't know. But, um, you know, women suffer with postpartum depression and we've all heard the stories about the, the women who drown their babies and it's absolutely horrific. The shit that happens to a woman when her body is just drowning in hormones of various kinds or, or stuff, you know, needing them anyway. Um, Dr. Jamie McGuire stumbled into the origins of pregnancy related depression while investigating a type of epilepsy in the mid two thousands as part of a UCLA team overseen by neuroscientist Istvan Mahdi if I said that correctly, she and her colleagues were studying a strain of mice with certain impaired receptors that would have otherwise helped balance the brain at just the right level of activity. As they bred the mice, the team ran into trouble. After giving birth, the mouse mothers neglected and sometimes cannibalized their offspring. 
In mice, that's a sign of despondent and dysfunctional behavior that may indicate relevance to human depression. Pregnancy is a time of great change, and little is known about how the brain shifts as a result. Side note, my doctor told me that the pituitary gland, which I believe is kind of in the middle of your brain, goes from like the size of a pea, peanut, something like that, to the size of a walnut when you're pregnant because uh, I had terrible headaches, which now I know were migraines. Did he connect those fucking dots? You'd think, you'd think, right? Is Anyway, yeah, so brain does crazy shit. Um, 80% of women report some sort of version of the baby blues during early motherhood, but for some 10 to 20% of women, those mood changes become 10 to 20% of those 80% rather. Those mood changes become an acute and all-encompassing sadness known as postpartum or peripartum depression. The troubled mice launched experiments that helped McGuire tri triangulate depression, stress, and pregnancy, leading to the first FDA-approved treatment for postpartum depression. A lot of times on the basic science side, this is a quote by her, you work your whole life on something and never see it go into the clinic. It's been incredible, McGuire says, to hear these stories about patients getting better. The observations about the melancholic mouse mothers focus McGuire's attention on what set these animals apart. By design, certain receptors in their brains called GABA type A, which keep some neurons from firing too often, didn't work. Messing with this inhibition contributes to the overfiring of epileptic seizures, as the group reported in 2005. Um, I don't want to get too much into the weeds at all this, but she was doing all this at Tufts University, where they now have a lab named after her. Um, so they messed with this GABA stuff and, um, you know, came out with all kinds of nerdy doctory words. Um, <laughs> were mice reading novels? That's the only thing I can think of why they... Yeah, they might have been, um... That would be concerning. Uh, <laughs> McGuire now believes pregnancy puts the brain in a precarious position. It ramps up the production of neurosteroid chemicals, which encourage the calming effects of the GABA system and limit stress by making a circuit known as the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, or HPA, less responsive. At the same time, the number of GABA-A receptors plummets to keep the brain from growing too lethargic. Keeping stress in check requires the brain to carefully balance neurosteroid production with the number of GABA-A receptors. Immediately after a mouse mother gives birth, neurosteroid levels plummet. McGuire's mice, with their disrupted GABA-A receptors, couldn't compensate for this upset balance and grew overwhelmed. Similar events may leave humans in a more fragile state, a delay in recovery or failure to recover those receptors could create this period of vulnerability, McGuire says. Clinical trials back this up. A company called Sage Therapeutics saw her work and ported it to humans, developing an intravenous injection to increase neurosteroid allopregnolone, pregna, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Uh, possibly restoring neural balance and giving the mother's brain more time to fire up her GABA system. Results were dramatic. FDA approved the medication Zolresso or Brexanolone in 2019. This is really fucking recent, making it the first 
treatment targeting postpartum depression. Doctors have long prescribed standard medications, you know, your basic Zoloft or whatever, but perhaps because postpartum depression has its own unique case, effectiveness varies. This is such a massive thing that postpartum depression is its own unique chemical situation. It's not just ordinary depression. And for many women, ordinary depression medications don't solve the problem. Anyway, so this is a massive breakthrough. And this literally just happened a few years ago. Um, Another woman, Lisa Galea, who's a neuroendocrinologist at the University of British Columbia, calls pregnancy a, quote, perfect storm for depression because of the neural changes. Um, And so Zolreso um, is a fucking miracle. And thank you, Dr. Jamie McGuire. So hopefully someday they will make some breakthroughs about fucking menopause because I am about to lose my shit about it. (laughs) Yeah. So that well, and that that was sort of another thing that you should just, you know, quote unquote, get over to, you know, it's just like, you don't have your period anymore. What's the big deal? Exactly. Yeah. All that entails. So, right. Yeah. Let's take all your testosterone away and see how you feel. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember my grandma, like my grandma really didn't talk too much about like when, when she was in menopause, but I remember she used to get, go get shots, like hormone shots or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh once a month but and so I think she was sort of normalized and okay but I don't know if it was specifically for mood if it was for hot flashes or you know why she all was, of it probably yeah, yeah. Or, yeah or all of it but then you know so for a long time they would just let women be on hormone replacement therapy and then they decided oh no it increases your risk of breast cancer blah blah blah, right. blah. so then and then they were just like nope now you have to so there was this weird gap where they were like no, you can't because breast cancer. And so women like my mom were just left to suffer through it, which she did. Um, but it's fucking insane the amount of changes that your body goes through. But listen, hormones regulate your whole fucking body. And um, I just I, I can't say enough about how utterly life-changing they call it the change of life but it is life-changing like body-wide pain chronic fatigue migraines you name it that shit is happening well it's specifically happening to me but it happens to a lot of people going through menopause which i have now learned by joining a group on reddit i'm like oh it's not just me i guess at least i don't have hair on my face great okay cool we're winning something to look forward to (laughs) so Anyway, um, I mean, mine were kind of focused more on women's health, but I, I mean, when you're talking about postpartum depression and PMS, those are definitely mental health um, issues. And I'm so grateful that there are doctors doing work on that because for the most part, those issues are just nobody gives a shit because it's not happening to the patriarchy. So why does it need money? You know? Right. Yeah. Women's issues, as a rule, don't get the majority of funding. Well, the can I? So, yeah, and doctors just are not educated about it. Even, well, most of my doctors, most of my doctors have been male, um, which is the problem. And I'm, I'm just sorry to say that that they just don't get it. 
unless they are specifically spending their life focusing on women's health and not forgetting to incorporate women's mental health and the physical health part of it because they're intrinsically connected. You cannot treat one without treating the other, in my opinion. Um, you know, you are not just a body. You anyway, I'll just go off. But um none of my doctors really know what the fuck when it comes to stuff. Like my first doctor when I was in my twenties told me, no, the pill doesn't make you gain weight. That's just a myth. I'm like, really? It's a myth that every single woman I know claims to be true. (laughs) And then when I got hives, not a single, I got hives like three weeks after I started taking the pill, not a single doctor was like, hmm, let's connect those dots. No. Well, then just like a couple years ago, I was doing my own research as Dr. Kelly does. And there is a known connection between estrogen and um, chronic hives and and histamines. There's a connection there. So the fact that I suffered with hives for like 15 years while I was on the pill, because not a single doctor looked at that, not one. And then I had an IUD as my main form of birth control from 2003 on until I had it taken out like a year ago. Um, It has a tiny amount of progesterone in it to keep it in the uterus and, you know, whatever. The amount that circulates in your bloodstream is so minuscule. Um, And one of my nurse practitioners said, oh, well, if you take progesterone, you're going to be progesterone dominant. Okay, listen, (laughs) look at the fucking graphs. First of all, I mean, you get where I'm going. Like, they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And it drives me insane. So I'll get off my soapbox. But um, (laughs) thank you for suggesting this so that I could rant and rave (laughs) and be hysterical. (laughs) Be hysterical. Yes, reading novels, those kinds of things. Yeah, for me, it's Google. Reading Google would definitely get me institutionalized because I'd be like, it says right here. Oh my <laughs> He'd God. be like, you know, had- bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> well, January is Mental Health Awareness Month, I think, because it is historically, of course, the weather is bleak. If you live in places that get actual weather, you know, it can be very depressing because you're stuck in the house and there's you're snowed in and gray buckets, buckets. right the sky is gray and blah 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 um and you know after the holidays people get down and then people are in debt and it's just this you know clusterfuck of things and oh the new year new year new me and you're like fuck it's just it's just a lot of of pressure from different areas. And so this time of year is the highest for suicide rates. Um, I forget what there's like a week that they call like black Monday or something where it's sort of like the statistically it's like the most depressing. Anyway, it happens in January, which both of us have birthdays in. So fuck us. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) If in case you didn't know, 
I mean, I, I feel like it would be very intimidating to call a number and talk to a stranger when you're sad and depressed. And you don't, sometimes you don't even know why you're fucking sad and depressed. So you can text a number now and then you get a counselor to talk to you. And it's it just feels much safer to me. And I'm sure it does to a lot of people. What is that number, Lisa? Uh, if you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741, uh, you'll connect with a volunteer crisis counselor. And they're yeah. there 24-7. And if you go to crisistextline.org, Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you that number, but it also, you can click on text us. So you can text from your tablet or whatever you can click on chat and you can also click on WhatsApp and connect with them that way. Oh, wow. So many ways. So the, what's the <clears throat> website again? Uh, crisis We'll put it in the comments. Yeah. I'll, we'll definitely put all this in the comments. So take care of yourself. You are not just a body. You are also a brain and you are also a bunch of chemicals that run the whole thing. And um, you and your chemicals and your brain and your body matter. And it matters that you're here and life is fucking hard. And the United States is a hot fucking mess. And you're probably worried about everything. And just it's okay. Take a break, man. Take a break and take care of yourself. And also, like Kelly said, you know, don't be afraid to do your own research and fucking advocate for yourself. Oh, my God. And if you don't know how to do the research, fucking email me at heybitches at bitchtree.net. I will fucking research some shit for you because I'm really good at that. And a lot of people, a lot of people shouldn't either because they're like, oh, my God, I have all the things. Don't do that. If you have, if you suffer from hypochondria or anything, like probably a bad idea, but um, I don't. So I am not a doctor. I cannot diagnose you, but I can guide you. So if you need help, I would be happy to geek out for you. So you absolutely have to advocate for yourself. And if you don't know how to do that, seriously, I will help you. I will help you help yourself. But you have to advocate for yourself because doctors are just people with a whole bunch of education. They don't know everything and they're fallible. They're so very fallible. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, this is such an important topic and I'm really, really glad that you suggested it. Um, I have my head up my ass and so I barely even know what day it is, let alone that, oh, it's January. It's Monday, Halloween. No, <laughs> Lisa, Lisa's here to keep us on track. Uh, yeah, I learned so. a lot as usual. Yeah, me too. So yeah, always check the show notes. Uh, there's all kinds of good shit in there. And the the two ladies that I picked... There's a whole bunch of details, doctory, medical stuff, if you're into that. So um, I'll be sure to link all that. And um, that's it for this uh, mentally well uh, episode of Bitchstory. We hope that you're feeling less depressed, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, January can be hard for people. That's true. For sure. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you. Please follow us on Instagram at bitchtree.pod and email us at heybitches at bitchtree.net. That's the best email address ever. Also, we would appreciate your glowing reviews. We need to offset that one shitty one. There's like one one star review. Like, what? I'm not even why. But I'm not. That's why I say you don't look at your reviews. But I'm just like, what do you mean? Why? Can't even see it. It's probably some dude who's like, these fucking bitches. Anyway. Join us again next time for another tale of history's forgotten heroines. And remember, 
well-behaved women seldom make history. So go make some bitchery. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Women are making history every day. Bitch. 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 Say what? Bitch. 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 Hmm.